Section 11 of Captain Billy's Whizbang, Volume 2, Number 13, October 1920. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Kristen Hand. Captain Billy's Whizbang, Volume 2, Number 13, October 1920, by W. H. Fawcett. Whizbang Editorials. The Bull is Mightier Than the Bullet. Is the theater becoming immoral? The majority of critics claim it is. The Whizbang disagrees on this point. We claim the motion picture development has stopped the sporadic growth of suggestive plays on the legitimate stage. The immoral, or at least suggestive, plays made their first appearance in any large number twenty years ago. Witness, Three Weeks, Sappho, Dubarry, and others, and still today you will find these plays in oblivion. Together with them, the women who starred in such plays are almost unheard of today. Most prominent among these is Olga Nethersole. She was an English governess in the 80s and startled London with her portrayals of The Transgressor, Magda, and other productions of like character. Twenty years ago, Miss Nethersole shocked two continents with her Sappho kiss. She always maintained that playing the parts of these easy women would make her. Witness her interview of more than five years ago, in which she is quoted as having said, People have not understood that I chose to play prostitutes because I have felt it my work to aid the world by showing the suffering in it. If I had felt that I had not been chosen for this task, I should never have given my life to it. Do you know the story of Alexander Dumas the Younger? He was an illegitimate son whose father refused to wed his mother. Thereupon, the son gave up his life to the cause of woman and wrote his plays with the suffering of woman uppermost. Camille will live forever. I have felt that if I could show the suffering and the misery that illicit passion causes, I could do something for the world, could point a way toward removing the evil. And today... Olga Nethersole's prediction has fallen flat. Her name, or the names of her mimics, no longer are blazoned on the electric signs of Broadway. Olga Nethersole, and the principle for which she stood, are in oblivion. This is the era of keepers, too. Our collective national appetite has been entrusted to the keeping of four bills. I refer to Bill Bryan, Billy Sunday, Bill Anderson of the Anti-Saloon League, and Billy Be Damned. Those of us who once owned thirsts rapidly are becoming reconciled to the prospect of seeing about every other man in this country established in the role of his brother's keeper. Not his barkeeper, perish the thought, but the sort of keeper who keeps his charges locked up in an iron-barred cage and whacks them across the nose with a steel rod of sumptuary discipline, should they manifest a desire once in a while to indulge in a little personal liberty. It has become the custom for many police departments to resort to underhanded methods in obtaining evidence wherewith to bring guilty persons to trial for certain offenses, the plan adopted being the employment of what is commonly known as stool pigeons, go-betweens who act in direct conjunction with the police. Concerning those who allow themselves to be so employed, there is little to be said, other than that they are not fit for decent society. 
It is a sneaking way of securing a living, and those who lend themselves to it ought to be ostracized by citizens who believe in conforming to the ordinary decencies of life. Moral reformers are altogether too ambitious. They want to abolish vice, but they cannot do it. Vice is not crime, although the two things are often confounded. The word vice literally means a fault or error. A crime is a deliberate violation of the law of God or man. Why should we be so serious and so violent in our attitude toward human vice? The root of the evil is in the weakness or wickedness of human nature. What is needed is to invigorate humanity with that moral strength which resists the inroads of vice. There are periods in the history of every nation when certain forms of vice are particularly flagrant. This was so when civilized Greece had lost her pristine manliness. It was so when pagan Rome was near her fall. It was so, unhappily, in England in the 90s of the last century, which saw the popularity of such literary and artistic decadence as Oscar Wilde and Aubrey Beardsley. Wise reformers will not ever deceive themselves by thinking that they can eradicate vice. They will try to lessen vice by moral suasion and by removing the economic causes which are the promoters of evil living. To put wretched people into jail is not the best way to reform them. It is better to make them see that a life of virtue pays better than a life of vice. This may be a low utilitarian stand, but it will appeal to those who are altogether guided by considerations of profit or loss. The elementary canal of the business world needs a physic. It's the same in business as with the human system when things get clogged. We've been gorging the system of the business world until its tripe needs scraping. We've kept the hopper too full for a healthy elimination, and we need calomel and rhubarb for a change. Capital has allowed its cormorant-like propensities to assume the proportions of a boa constrictor in trying to swallow not only the calf, but the whole herd. Labor, following closely in the wake of capital and profiting by its example, has pulled the bridle off of the horse and started it down the road of reason for a head-on collision with a captain of industry, who is stepping on the tail of his big packard, and both will be injured. Cornering the earth and setting the price of all things required for man's welfare has come home to roost in demands for wages double and treble what they used to be, and both capital and labor must be purged of this overload on the liver of righteousness, or the undertaker will have an unusually thriving business very soon. The tendency of present-day writers and authors of fiction stories to deal in suggestiveness is perhaps explained in the popularity of the magazines which cater to these outpourings. Governor Morris is one of these, and who can say that Mr. Morris is not one of the foremost writers of the day? In his latest masterpiece, The Wild Goose, which appeared recently in Hearst's, he writes, for instance, One of the shoulder straps of her nightgown had slipped so that Diana's left breast was almost wholly bare. At her husband's next words, she hastily pulled the nightgown back into place, as she might have done if he had stepped suddenly into view. I could crawl to you on my hands and knees, he said, if I could lay my head on your breast just one little moment. Frank, she exclaimed, I am so sorry, but please, please, this is no time to discuss what's been gone and happened. Do go back to bed. Count the sheep going over the hurdle. Don't you know I'd do anything, 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 except the things I can't do? There was a long silence, then the man spoke again. Do have pity, he said, for Christ's sake. 
Then we have Arthur Summers Roche, who quite often reveals much truth in his fiction. Writing recently in The Cosmopolitan, Roche, perhaps unconsciously, reveals a time-worn trick of the woman of the street in working a male victim. He writes, The difficulty with the waiters' union had resulted in the engaging of girls as waitresses at the Central. An extremely pretty girl had just served Mr. Dabney with something. Inspiration had come to him as he started to tip her. Worth just fifty cents, my dear, if I put it in your hand. Worth five dollars if I put it in your stocking. What say? The waitress essayed coyness, but failed in her endeavor. Five dollars was five dollars. She turned slightly to one side. Her skirt was raised. Into her stocking top, Dabney slipped the five-dollar bill. No invention of modern history has ever been acclaimed with the enthusiasm that greeted Mr. Dabney's strikingly original idea. There was a yell for Mr. Ladd's table. As explanation shot about the room, hilarity reached its highest pitch. Immediately, a dozen girls stood close to tables, while unsteady hands that held bills fumbled at the tops of stockings. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how did your brewing do? It has the smell, and kicks like hell, but tastes like rotten glue. Pass her a palm fan. What sort of tree is that? queried a Chicago girl, touring California. Fig tree, replied her escort. My goodness, I thought the leaves were larger. A-W-O-L means, according to officers who ought to know, after women or liquor. Usually it's both. End of section 11.